morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. One of the passages we're going to be read is to be kind to one another. <laughs> no, just, as each other, everybody looks at somebody next to them or somebody close by. Yeah, that's you. <laughs> uh, glad you're here this morning. Um, we're going to be continuing in First Thessalonians 4. We will eventually get through chapter 4. Uh, but uh, I know it's kind of moving along kind of slow, but there's a lot of important things in here that, uh, that I think we should really take a look at. So let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you again for today, and I thank you for your blessings once again. And Lord, I just thank you for your instructions. Lord, I thank you that the demonstration of love didn't stop with the crucifixion and resurrection, but it continues on. And uh, to, the, to the day when you're going to come back for us, to the day when you're going to establish your kingdom on earth. And um, Lord, I just pray that we're found being faithful to you and being holy. And I thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. So last week we kind of left off in verse 3. And uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and pick it up there. Did anybody look at the verses um, again, throughout the week this week, um, that were in the uh, the notes from last week, from like Romans eight twenty nine, First Corinthians fifteen, I thought it was kind of interesting that those verses were brought up in the message as well uh, last week. Um, some of those passages on Wednesday night, and uh, as as well. So, the question we had addressed last week was, you know, um, the question: What is how does sanctification happen? And uh, I find it interesting, the connection between the questions that are on the sheet that we have on Wednesday night and the first question that Jim texted out to those who, of you who were here, does God have permission to change anything and everything in your life? If the answer is yes, sanctification happens. Uh, being more Christ-like happens changes god is allowed to take the the bible and use it as a as a surgical tool to remove things that doesn't don't belong and to put in things uh, that do belong that he wants us to do so when we look at verse three it's god's will that you should be sanctified that's a simple statement uh first thessalonians four and uh verse three it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, and that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. So I'm going to stop right there. Um, what does sanctification look like when it's completed? That's the, that's the next question that we wanted to address. Does anybody have an idea of what that looks like? What's that? Okay, and that says? He'll be like his teacher, okay? And so Romans, uh, <clears throat> yes, go ahead. Right. 
Absolutely. Right. And so that's, that's in a nutshell, that's in, in today's language would be the same as what, just, what he just said. And, and I'm glad that you make that connection. That's, what's that? Yeah, I do too. I like, you know, and if you read the Old Testament, I like today's names as well. Uh, <laughs> we talk about that. I, there's times I have to hit the, the play button on my Bible app on my phone just so I can hear the pronunciation of the names and stuff. But uh, if we look also at uh, Romans 8, well, that, <laughs> that's probably true. Yeah, so uh, look at Romans 8, verse 29. And this is a familiar verse, uh, probably to most of us. So for, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So did God determine beforehand how we were going to behave and how we were going to respond? Is that what that's? What's that? How we ought. How we ought. Yeah, that was established. Um, but when his, when it says that he foreknew, it was just like he was able to fast forward. You know, from our own perspective in our own language, he was able to fast forward all the way through time and see every decision and the result of every decision that we were ever going to make. And then go all the way back to creation and go, okay, set it in motion. And, and I picture it, I don't know if you've ever watched like a huge domino display where they plink and it all just, and it takes 10 minutes or whatever, however long for it to go through the whole thing. That still seems, that's a real short time, 10 minutes. But from creation, it was like God had all of the dominoes all set up and he could see and know exactly how everyone was going to respond and then set it in motion. And then it happens and it executes exactly like he already saw, how he already created that um, the, the decisions that he wanted for us would be and we have the free will um, to do that. So one of the questions on Wednesday night was, explain free will that one came up this last wednesday and this passage of scripture came up in that conversation and the simplest explanation for me for free will is the first thing that comes to my mind is have you ever looked at a menu <laughs> you know you have you have good choices and then you have bad choices you have entrees and you have desserts and which one do you choose first you know uh an undisciplined guy like me sometimes will go to the dessert page and go well, let's see how should I restrict my eating so that I can have this? You know, um, and that's just a, that's just a primitive uh, way to explain it, to understand. But the reality is, is God always puts a right answer or a right choice that is godly, that is holy, that is righteous, and then there's always every other choice. Um, and there's nothing gray about the right um, choice. And we're going to look at that as well in a couple of minutes when he talks about um, avoiding impurity and living for holiness in our life. Right, right. So if you, chose not, if you choose not to eat that day and you close, it's still a choice. 
So, yeah, and that, that's a good point because if you just back away from the table, you go away hungry. You still go away empty. What's that? Uh, it's still a choice, but it's not always my choice. <laughs> it's not what I choose. So, yeah, I mean, and, and since you bring it up, we're going we're gonna to talk a little, we'll probably talk a little bit about this sometime today or maybe next week, but <clears throat> eating in general. Is, is there holiness and righteousness in how you eat? The, does the Bible address that? I did that. I did that last night. But where I failed last night was I didn't stop eating when my body was saying, okay, that's enough. And I went, oh, but it's so good. You know? Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's, I don't remember where they're at, but there's a couple passages in Proverbs about gluttony, about using food to satisfy an emptiness that, uh, that might exist. And so, you know, there are cautions against that stuff, against those kinds of things. So anyway, we'll look at that more later. But uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15 as well. What's that? You're you're craving broccoli broccoli now? Oh, <laughs> you know, and and there was a day when I would prefer that, you know. But once you just like anything else, once you train yourself to like healthy things, what? <laughs> yes, yes, it is. So yeah, as you train yourself to train yourself to eat healthy things, you become you desire more healthy things, you know, and the same is true for your spirit. Um, as your spirit craves and does, you know, you train yourself to crave or train yourself to use good spiritual things, you begin to desire good spiritual things. So your will is being conformed into the will of Christ. And that's an instruction that's given to us in the word of God as well. So First uh, Corinthians 15, 48 and 49 He says, it was the earthly, uh, excuse me, and was the earthly man, so are, as was, thank you, as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And as just as we have borne, excuse me, and just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Uh, and so this is... <laughs> He's talking about there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Um, the natural body grows on the basis of how you nourish it in many cases, in most cases. You know, that doesn't mean that you're not ever going to get sick, but if you nourish the physical body properly, your likelihood of getting sick are less. Would you agree? If you exercise properly and you eat right, the likelihood... The evidence in history is that you'll live a longer life. Um, the same is true in the spiritual body, that as you nourish the spiritual body, it's not a, necessarily a guarantee that you'll live a longer life, but it is a guarantee that the reward that comes as a result of living a godly life in heaven, and, and Paul tells us this in First Thessalonians later on as well, 
the reward that comes as a result is great compar in comparison to a person who doesn't. So, 2 Corinthians 3, if we turn just a couple pages, in verse 17 and 18, he says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So again, the goal of being a Christian is to be conformed and transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So Chris, just like what you had said, in not necessarily in physical sense, but in character, in attitude, in love, response, kindness, compassion, all of those things, all of the, the fruit of the Spirit that we read about, those are the things that transform us into the image of our Creator. And so those are the things that, of course, become our, our attention, our focus. So being sanctified, conformed into the image of His Son, is a progression that takes place only when we respond correctly in obedience to the Word of God and the Spirit of God in our daily experiences. So while we're still in 2 Corinthians, look, let's look at uh, chapter 10. In verses 3 through 6, we go to these verses a lot. These are, these are uh, foundational verses, I think, for uh, a person who wants to walk with the Lord. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So do we have control over our own thoughts? <laughs> so it's not, a, it's, it's not a question of if you can take captive every thought. Have you ever let your mind wander? Yeah, so, so you have to examine every word that I just said. Have, you, have I ever let my mind wander? I have to give it permission to do that. Sounds crazy, sounds goofy. But the reality is, is when I want to just sit and relax and I want to clear my mind, some of these, these de-stressing... Um, Things like yoga or the, you know, the different things that they give you to, they, they tell you to use to de-stress yourself. What is, what is the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal to, to the person doing is, oh, I just want relief from this stress. Okay, so what happens when you get up off the mat and you roll it up and you put your regular clothes back on and you go back to work? You, you pick the stress right back up right where you left it, right? <laughs> Right, so, yeah. I was just thinking about how Paul defines a lot of the things that Jesus says metaphorically. Mm -hmm. So this is what Jesus is talking about when he says that we have 
Right. 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 So how we are is what we are thinking. Right. We can't control a thought that comes to us. Right. Right. And so you have to believe that the Bible is true. And then what does the Bible say? What does God say about that thought? And use God's word to interpret that thought rather than using my thoughts and my experiences and my feelings to interpret what the Bible is saying. And, and I've heard that over and over again. I've heard many times people say, well, I've experienced this and I know what I experienced. And I know that my experience was powerful, so it had to be from God. And, and I would say I agree with everything up to the point where you said it had to be from God. Because I don't, I don't deny that you had a person had an experience. I don't deny that a person has a feeling. I don't deny any of that. The question is, does it agree with what God says? Because if it don't, now I'm calling God a liar. And that's where I think the, that, that so many times we need to draw the line in the sand and say, does God ever lie? Well, no. And if it's, well, no, but what you're really saying is, I'd rather believe my experience than what God's Word says. And, and most people don't want to make that confession um, verbally, vocally, because when that, when, uh, I, there's something about when that happens that, that separates a person from God so distinctly that place after place after place in the Scripture, there's places in Revelation where it says, read the words of this book out loud. Why? Because people need to hear it, and you need to hear it coming out of your mouth. And it does something. It's obedience to what God says. Um, Jesus, and, and there are a number of places in the Bible that says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen to what the Word of God says. Apply what the Word of God says, and it will change you. You'll be able to discern your experiences from what truth is. And then you will be able to move in the direction of what God wants. Yeah. Right. 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 There's. There was no power in the shadow. There was no power in the handkerchief. It was their faith in Christ. Period. And they continue to to reaffirm that all the way through. So. Um, What's that? Right. 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 So 
Right. Right. And so we don't, we don't perform those miracles today because we have the completed scripture. And everything in it is, is proof. Again, I mean, we read about these, uh, these miraculous things that happen so that we can say everything that Paul writes is true because there's truth in all of the miracles that happen. It's not, a, it's not commanded of us to do those miracles um, as a matter of fact, today, those miracles are attempted and people are attempting to do those things to bring attention to themselves. Um, they're actually drawing people away from Christ because they're drawing people to miraculous signs. And there's a warning that's given that when the end, end is near, that those things will happen and they'll be increasing um, as, as the return of Christ approaches. So, um, anyway... Right daily choices. Um, this is sanctification. And it's, it's visual by obeying statements in uh, 1 Thessalonians 3, um, starting in the second half of 1 Thessalonians, uh, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. And uh, you'll see these instructions are instituted by the word what? Or, excuse me, the word that. So when you read, starting in verse 3, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. And there's a colon here. It says that you should avoid sexual immorality. And then verse 4, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable. And if we jump down just for a moment to verse 6, um, it says, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. So, this, this instruction is designated to produce greater holiness, in, uh, and this is in the abstinence of immorality and sexual immorality. The call for, is for the readers to avoid it, implying the need for exercising self-discipline, enabled by God's Spirit to control your own body. This warning is needed because Christians are not immune to temptation. So, when you became a Christian, did all of your temptations change? <laughs> okay, they got, they got harder? They increased? Okay. 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 So, I'm with you in that how you feel about that is to me temptation seems like it just ramped up i've i've observed other people that have given their life to christ and went hallelujah i don't need that stuff and just walked away and i went wait a minute what <laughs> you know so every person the reason why i say that is every person's different the goal is still the same you still want to please christ but there's, there, is a, there is a struggle with what you focus on. If the focus, is, and this is, I, had to, I have to apply this to my own life, and I have to apply it every day. If my focus is on the things that I struggle with, and it's on my temptation, and I continue to let my mind go to those things, it's hard to fight those things. If I continue to let my mind go to the things that discourage me, it's hard not to be discouraged. 
And that's why the scripture tells us in Philippians 4, Wayne, I think you've got this memorized, don't you? What's that? What's that? Oh, you, yeah, you, you, got, you women probably remember that if, uh, if you've been in women's Bible study the last couple of weeks. Go ahead and read Philippians. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. And so how do you do that? Take captive the thought. Okay, so what are some practical ways, some action taken to, to do that when you're in a place where you're going, I'm really weak today and I don't know how to do this? Okay. <laughs> okay, but see, um, there's a song that... There's a song that we sing that sometimes you're a prisoner in your own mind. Okay. Exactly. So what do you do? I'm pointing to her because there's days when she goes, I just need to get out of this house. Get out of the house. Yeah. Right. And I'm so glad last week Jim used David and Bathsheba and not uh, uh, Potiphar's wife and, and Joseph because <laughs> I wanted to bring that one up today uh, in Genesis 39. So as I was listening, I was I caught bits and pieces of it as I was in the nursery last week and then listened to it again uh, throughout the week and I, I agree, and I never really thought about it, how it was mentioned last Sunday in the message, that the question was asked, how many of you women would bathe undressed if you knew that there was a possibility that somebody else could watch you? Only the one who wanted to be watched. Right? You know, because the reality is, is if you don't want anyone other than your spouse seeing you undressed, you're not going to be in a place where that's a possibility. So in, in today's culture, unfortunately, if, if there is a uh, sparsely dressed woman laying passed out outside of a bar and some guy comes along and takes advantage of her in her condition and then they go to court later for, ra for him raping her, in today's culture, there's a good chance that they're going to blame the woman for being there on the, on the concrete. And you're going to say, well, you got what you deserved. Is that not true? And, and so the guy will get off with a lesser sentence because of that. And if that's a true statement, yeah, that's true. And, and this comes to my mind because a few... Yeah, that too. <laughs> I do. I, I'm kind of fascinated by crime shows and, and that kind of thing. But Yeah, not even in another country. If you go back to the 50s today, in our country, there was a time where, you know, a neighbor would have broken into a house and said, look, if you're going to touch, put your hands on a woman, you're going to deal with me, you know, and that would have been acceptable. Today, the guy that was doing the evil w is more protected, you know. 
So if you, if you, I mean, and, and it's, and it, the reality is, is it's been in the mind of the human being for ages and ages and ages, but it's been not accepted by culture. So if you go back, if you Google, this is crazy, but if you Google search, uh, I think it's 1528 French Sleeping Beauty, okay? Uh, the, the, the fairy tale, Sleeping Beauty, there was, there, there was a writer in France that it was written that she, f she was put to sleep by a piece of flax in her finger. Flax. Flax seed, like a, I think today it's a spinning wheel and she gets a splinter or something like that. Um, and anyway, she's, she's cursed and she sleeps, she goes to sleep for 100 years. And in the French version of this 1500s uh, fairy tale, the prince doesn't come along and wake her up by kissing her. The prince comes along and he violates her. And she's awakened when she gives birth to twins and one of the babies pulls the flax out. And I'm going, yeah, that's, that's great. <laughs> I'm going, I'm going, yeah, that's a great idea for a, that's a great idea for a kid's book, a kid's, kid's poem. So then he does, he does marry her and, you know, hey, can you imagine, okay, a woman, she falls asleep, she's never been with a man before, she's probably in her late teens, early 20s, something like that, she wakes up, a hundred years later, she knows no one, and she wakes up to, mama, okay, and this guy comes along and says, hey, ah, good to see you're up, <laughs> you know, it's just ridiculous, what's that? The point, the point is, is that in today's, the point is, is that in today's culture, the person that is doing the violating oftentimes is more protected than the one who's violated. And so the address in second, in first, in America, yeah. Right, right. And so, you know, she's not, she didn't choose to be there. Um, and she didn't choose... No, she was she was cursed because somebody else just got mad. Oh yeah, yeah. But but when but when. Well, David and Bathsheba. If you, if you it doesn't say this specifically in scripture, but the the nature of the human mind is we like to be tempted. That's the bottom line. So Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 10, I think it's first, is it 1 Corinthians 10 or 2 Corinthians 10? He says, no temptation has taken you except what is common to man and that he is faithful and he will provide a way out every time. And we have to choose that. So was David in the right place when he's standing on the roof of his house and he's looking around? No, he's not. He chose to be there. Why did he choose to be there? Pride. I don't need to be out there with my military. Right, right. So he's making a choice to not be, to not be where he belongs, okay. okay? And so we do that daily as well. And so when we find ourselves in situations where it's difficult to, to make the right choice, sometimes that decision was made earlier when we just wanted to be casual, when we wanted to coast a little bit, when we wanted to relax. Yeah. 
No, that's the woman. That's Uriah's wife, correct. And so it leads to more sin and more sin and more sin. And, it's a, and it continues to go on in an attempt to cover it up until it's dealt with. So if you look, let's, let's just go here. We're going to jump ahead a little bit. Let's go to Genesis 39. And I've heard all the arguments about this too, that, um, that Joseph should never have been in the room with Potiphar's wife, how did he do that? The reality is Potiphar's wife set it up. That's what happened. And we'll just read a little bit here. We'll start in verse 1. Genesis 39, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one with Pharaoh's, of Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. So this was his home, okay? When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So, Joseph took care of everything in the house except for Potiphar's meals. That was taken care of by somebody else. So, continuing on, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. I'm going to stop right there for just a second. What was the most attractive thing about Joseph to her? You think so? Okay, so if Joseph was a godly man, as, as what the word says, did he give her special attention? I don't think so. I don't think this is her first time. My question that comes up to my mind is why is that position vacant? Well, see, he, he lived there. It was his, his home. And we're going to read in a few minutes, Potiphar's wife arranged for everybody to be gone so that they could be alone together so that she could put it to him. Uh, Genesis 39. So Joseph has already decided before he even meets Potiphar what he's going to do. Right. He had made those decisions before Long before then. And none of Jacob's other sons are like this. Right. So the reason God called Joseph the firstborn is because Rachel is the right mother 
Yeah. Yeah, God put me here. And they even blame him for it. Right. Who has said, like Daniel in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, Daniel's 14 years old, and Daniel had resolved not to defile himself. Right. He's done the same thing. Right. 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 And so so these this is not a it it, it doesn't come at to Joseph as oh my gosh what do I do he's he's approached by her and he's going I got to get out of here I got to get out of the house boom and he leaves and she grabs him by the coat and he's fine you can have that I don't need it I'm gone I'm done and so anyway so what does she I think his his purity. Okay, because at this point, he's never been with a woman. Okay, he is he's a virgin, and he is doing everything by the book. He's doing everything as according to God said. And whether that's what attracted her, or or whether she was looking at it going, ah, I bet I can bring him down. Uh, I don't know. I, I I can't answer that question. Right. Everybody Everything. Joseph, right. There was yeah. And the reality is, is if he would have said yes to her, then all of that's gone. Right. Every bit of it is gone in a moment. So, you know, I, I think about, you know, the, the culture we live in today. And I, if I ask the question, is it wrong for a person to cheat on their spouse? Anybody, anybody say, no, it's not wrong? <laughs> nobody, nobody, well, society, but I'm not asking about what society says. I'm saying, is it wrong to cheat on your spouse? Okay, so when he talks about sexual immorality in First Thessalonians 4, any intimacy outside of your spouse is cheating on your spouse. So if you are not married yet and you are intimate with a man or a woman, you are cheating on your future spouse. And what happens is now the experience that you've had puts expectations on somebody who has completely who is completely unaware of what you know what you're coming into the relationship with. And I never thought about that when I was a young person. Why? Because I wanted to feed my own desires. And, and that's the way the world teaches. That's the way the world will tell you. It, if you love me, don't you think that God would want us to be together? That's the way Satan lies. He, you go, hmm, well, let's see what the Bible says. The Bible says, no, I shouldn't do that. And then you make a choice. You bring every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ or you follow your own desires and your own passions. Yeah. That's a good place. Yeah. So uh, back in First Thessalonians 4, I'm just going to read a little bit from the notes. Um, 
The Thessalonian people lived in a pagan environment where moral looseness was not only practiced openly, but it was also encouraged. Sounds a little bit like our culture today. Uh, in Greek religion, prostitution was considered a priestly prerogative, and extramarital sex was sometimes an act of worship to a pagan god. To a Christian, the will of God is clear. Holiness and Christian liberty never justifies fornication. So, um, is... Right. So, the question I have today is, is an extramarital sexual affair of any kind, is that in today's culture worship of a pagan god? Okay. So who is that pagan god? There you go. Me first. This is what I want. So in any relationship that we have with another person, if it leads to a physical, immoral relationship, we're not loving that person. We're loving ourselves. This is what I want. Yeah, yeah. So um, in verses 4, 5, and 6, again, I'll just read this real quickly in First uh, Thessalonians 4. We've got just a couple more minutes. Um, he says, each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sin as we told you and warned you before. So what is the Greek word for know God? Do they know about God? Yeah. Everybody that he's talking about knows about God. Who is he referring to when he talks about those who know God? Do you remember the Greek word? Oh, come on. Jim's going to cry here. Gnosko. <laughs> you did? Okay, good. Oh. <laughs> so, an experiential knowledge. So, the person, uh, if you look at the last paragraph in your notes, we'll just read through that real quick, and we'll look at a couple of these verses, uh, but we'll hit the rest of them next week. Each Christian is responsible for their own body and behavior, not their neighbor's. Okay, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That's the verse I was looking for earlier. We're not to deal with it as the heathens did by indulging in lust. A heathen or a pagan is one who does not know God. A Christian can overcome. I see I missed a letter there. Can overcome because they know God. The reason the heathen, heathen behaves the way that they do is because they know about God but do not know God personally. When a person comes to know God through faith in Jesus Christ, not only do our attitudes toward sex and all other temptations change, but we discover that our ability to act toward temptations as we could never do before. This is why the godly relationship maintenance or discipleship is vital and essential to maintaining a clean walk before God. 
So I wanted to get to that point before we close today, because when we were talking earlier about when the temptations come into an idle mind and you're in a place where you're at home by yourself, it's three o'clock in the morning and you've woken up to whatever, use the bathroom and you, you go back to bed and you can't go back to sleep and your mind is just going through these things. What can you do in that point? You can get up and read the Bible. You can, and this is where technology is kind of crazy. Um, you can text somebody. And even if they're sleeping and they don't get it until 6 or 7 a.m. the next morning, you will know that they're going to ask you about it. And if you want to remain pure, when you hit send on that phone, I guarantee you, because I've done this, I guarantee you something in you changes because now you're going to be held accountable. Because now somebody, and it's not that somebody knows dirt about you. It's not like, oh my gosh, you know, they know. It's, it's Lord, I want to please you more than I want to please myself and I need help right now. So you send that message, you make a phone call, you wake your spouse, uh, you wake one, <laughs> one of your kids or whatever. I've, I've prayed many times before, Lord, when I'm about to do something, if I'm about to do something that I'm too weak to overcome by myself and I'm not sure how to respond, cause something to happen so that I don't disqualify myself from your service. And I've had people uh, sitting at home by myself, watching TV, my mind is going different places, and all of a sudden somebody pulls in their driveway. And they're like, oh. And that, that little voice in my head, that little spirit inside me says, you told me to do this. Thank you. Thank you. And I think God will honor if our, if our motives and our attitude toward him and toward sin are right. God honors those requests and provides the way to show us how to escape from it and lets us practice doing that. So thank you for your attention this morning. God bless you guys.